Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. Each week, we'll be talking with real people with real stories about things they have not said or done or have said or done in their workplace that required bravery. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Ed Everts, and I'm the founder and president of Excellius Leadership Development. Welcome to Be Brave at Work, a podcast devoted to helping you take the next step in your workplace. I hope you'll listen to our past podcast conversations, and if you'd like to hear past episodes, go to BeBraveAtWork.com, subscribe to our podcasts, and learn some valuable lessons about bravery at work. My new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Success, is now available in paperback, on Kindle, and in audio at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and any online book retailer you prefer. Check out Drive Your Career today. Our podcast today is sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies. Based in Woburn, Massachusetts, Cabot Risk Strategies has created innovative and customized insurance strategies for individuals and families, businesses, nonprofits, commercial real estate, and public entities. Cabot's client base continues to expand both within the region and within the markets they serve. And if you are looking for customized insurance services and solutions, contact Cabot at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at cabotrisk.com. Known for her work on leadership, gender issues, education, and national security, Marissa Porges is currently the eighth head of the Baldwin School, a 130-year-old all-girls school outside of Philadelphia, renowned for academic excellence and for preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. Marissa's new book is What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women. Prior to joining Baldwin, Marissa served in the Obama White House as a senior policy advisor on cybersecurity at the National Economic Council and was a research fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School and the Council on Foreign Relations, where she traveled extensively extensively in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Southeast Asia, conducting research on terrorism, counterterrorism, and efforts to counter violent extremism. Her awards include the National Committee on American Foreign Policy 21st Century Leader Award and the NATO Medal for Service in Afghanistan. She is widely published, appearing in the New York Times, the New Yorker, and the Wall Street Journal. Marissa also served as a counterterrorism policy advisor in the departments of the Treasury and Defense, and that was not all enough. She began her career serving on active duty in the U.S. Navy flying EA-6B Prowlers. Marissa, that is quite the background. Thank you so much, and welcome to our podcast today. Thank you for being here. I, I uh, yes, that that is a long story. But I hope we get to cover some of it today in our our conversation. I think we will. And while I attempted to give everybody a decent background on you, I'd love for you to tell us for a few minutes what you currently are doing today, and you know, kind of how you are uh, interacting with the marketplace. Yeah. So uh, as you described, my um, career until recently was fully in the national security space, and I had the pleasure of following my own adventure and following my dreams to fly carriers off jets and things like that, or jets off carriers, excuse me. Um, but now my marketplace is the next generation. You know, the uh, my audience is um, are, are girls um, from ages four to 18 years old. I, I run a school um, outside of Philadelphia for um, young women, girls in pre-kindergarten through grade 12. So in the midst of a pandemic, it's all the this, this stuff about opening school and safety and health and all of that. And in a normal year, it's about making sure our program is preparing the next generation to really be, um, you know, confident and resilient and brave in the, uh, the future workforce and world and ready to, to conquer all that's coming their way. Well, I'm sure there are a lot of parents who feel that there's some relationship between counterterrorism and an all-girls school. But 
how did you move from this world of counterterrorism and foreign policy and worldwide travel to being the eighth head of the Baldwin School? It feels like a huge transition. It was a huge leap. And in so many ways, it was one of those the biggest opportunities to take risk was, um, you know, coming to the school and taking on this new opportunity. Um, I will mention that I, I grew up here, right? So this is the school that I went to as a, a student um, and I graduated from when I was uh, a kid. And so when they were looking for their next leader, um, they approached me to see if I'd be interested in, in applying and throwing my hat in the ring. And I can still recall that moment I was working at the White House at the time when um, they they said, would you be interested? And I said, are you crazy? Um, uh, but, uh, you know, those who knew me best realized this would be, um, you know, a place where I could have a lot of impact, a place that had given me a lot as a community. And, you know, I'm really keen to make sure the next generation of, of girls has all those things that for those of us in the workplace, you know, I think we do need a certain um, type of, I'll use your word, bravery, a certain um, approach to the world that um, I would love to be able to teach the next generation to. And how large a school is the Baldwin School? So how many students are there? So just shy of 600. Um, okay, so so about 600 sizable. students, families, yep, uh, 175 faculty, staff, employees, 4,000 alum. Um, so it's, you know, a medium-sized school. Um, uh, we have the good fortune of staying small, so we know each other as a community. But, you know, from the leadership perspective, it's been, um, you know, really great to see how you can have impact at, at this level of scale and sort of, you know, influence the community in, in really nice ways. Well, one of the things that makes our conversation so perfect is that your new book, What Girls Need, actually it came out, I think, last August, uh, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women is fantastic for purposes of being brave at work because one of the realities that a lot of people experience at work is the culture and environment doesn't encourage bravery, right? It encourages a certain type of behavior, which may not include bravery. I'm sure there are some rare examples, but most of the organizations and most of the people I've talked to find being brave uh, isn't rewarded and isn't welcome, isn't taught. You don't go to junior high school or high school or college and major in bravery. And yet when you become a manager, suddenly they're like, hey, welcome to the job. And here's five things you have to do. And they're all hard. So, you know, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit about the you know, reason that you brought this book to us and, you know, what some of the concepts might be embedded in the book that relate a little bit to, you know, bravery and courage. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right that it is not something that in modern culture, um, either at work or in other places, um, we encourage on a daily basis. It seems like, you know, it's risk taking seems hard, but risk taking takes bravery, takes courage. Um, it's also something that schools don't necessarily encourage in um, at, at all moments in, in really great ways. When we think about like it, it takes bravery if you're a young child, particularly a, a girl in a lot of co environments to raise your hand, speak up, ask questions, admit you don't know things. I mean, these are moments, particularly for a youngster that you have to be brave. Um, and yet we're in a culture where, you know, people are striving to be perfect or get A's or pass the test. It's about that versus the brave moment of admitting what you don't know. So I do think um, bravery is something that we need to be teaching and practicing, like practicing as individuals and then teaching our kids and each other. And, and you know, for those who are leading teams, teaching our teams how to take individual daily moments and and be brave. Um, and I think there's concrete ways, research-based ways that we can do it with each other. Um, and it's about finding those moments in small everyday ways that don't feel um, as difficult and building what I call the muscle memory of being courageous, the muscle memory of acting brave so that when the big moments come, like you know, switching out of a career in national security to run a school because it seems inspiring, you're like, ah, I can do that because I practice small moments of bravery every day. 
Well, I don't mean our conversation to be gender-based, yet since your book is called What Girls Need, I assume that's where most of your research and study has been done. And I'm just curious, you know, are there two or three things that people should be thinking about or should be watching, or are there two or three things that women don't do in the workplace that they could do to demonstrate bravery a little bit more effectively? Yeah, um, I think there is a gendered element to this. Um, I do think, uh, and it's hap- it's helpful to realize that because it speaks to um, both our strengths um, and sort of natural ways that we want to do things. Um, I'll speak to two in particular. One is something that speaks to what I um, areas where I think women can naturally lean into their strengths, and it's um, the courage that comes um, with and is part of being vulnerable. Right. It's sort of that that's like a weird concept to think about that being vulnerable um, is the moment you show the most bravery. Um, But I think it's where this idea of how we're empathetic, how we relate to others, how we communicate vulnerability. um, It's actually a really difficult, challenging thing to do. But it's something that sometimes women, if encouraged, um, uh, you know, it feels natural. Like we relate emotionally to um, each other. We see perspective where empathetic research shows, you know, much more naturally and from a young age. Um, And it's something we encourage in our girls that, you know, we encourage them to practice their empathetic skill taking, their empathetic um, perspective taking, excuse me, and and how they work together through that lens, um, how they share stories about themselves, about their personal experience with each other. Um, And that is something that we as adults can be really leaning into as well. I do think it takes bravery, but I think it's a great example of bravery as well. So it's a little bit of both at the same time, but particularly for women, I think. Yeah. Well, and when I think about organizations that I work with and uh, organizations that I worked at, Uh, Words like vulnerability, uh, empathy, uh, even humility oftentimes are seen, you know, today as a weakness, right? That you can never show anybody that you don't have all the answers. And, you know, the more senior you are, the more you should know. And you can't ever say, hey, I don't know. Or, uh, wow, I don't think we handled that really well. Let's handle it a little bit better uh, next time. I think actually, not to be political, but uh, Obama was the first president I think I ever heard who said, hey, I don't think we handled that well. We could have done that better. Uh, in the past and in the past president we just had, you know, it was always, you know, we're perfect. You know, everything we did was absolutely right. So, uh, you know, I'm just wondering what some of your reflections might be on on those words and, you know, leadership today. I think that's exactly, those are great examples. And I think, um, you know, the ones that come to me, interestingly enough, personally, are our personal moments when, you know, I shared um not just moments of, of failure or hiccups in my everyday, but the personal struggles that I thought as a leader, I couldn't necessarily, I didn't feel comfortable sharing with my team or with the sort of community I'm part of. But, you know, as I stepped into this more senior role in a more public way, and I realized that's actually the point where I'm being the bravest and I'm helping everyone step forward and take the risk to be themselves vulnerable and brave. Um, and for me, this is going to maybe sound weird, but um, it's actually when I became a mom. Um, and when I started sharing the personal side of that life with um, my community, and it's something, you know, happened relatively recently. I have a toddler at home now. Um, but I remember in the early days of, of sort of sharing that with the community that was then the school, which, you know, as a leader, I was very sort of keen to make sure everyone saw me as in charge, able to like manage what was going on, particularly when there's crisis like a pandemic happening, things like that. But I realized over time that the more I was able to share with people the mo- small moments when it wasn't going well, the small moments when, you know, the screaming baby at home made me late for work and something happened as a result, or just that those struggles of life actually allowed people to take more risk and be more brave in their own world. Um, and then, you know, admit when we have small moments that it's not going as well as we'd like, um, it's okay to share that. 
Um, and that's, again, where I think this idea of empathy and relating to people on other levels um, and bravery sort of all come together and, and sort of came together for me in a really powerful way. Well, when you think about words that relate to bravery, you've already shared some vulnerability, empathy, et cetera. Are there any other words or phrases you think of when you think about being braver in the workplace? Yeah, well, I'll I'll switch to another, you know, lean for a second and say, sure, switch away. you know, another one that comes to mind for me, and it's particularly um, important, I think, to speak about um, when you're talking about women and girls is um, competitiveness or like a healthy competitive nature. Um, and I say that in, in large part because research shows that we discourage girls and women from being competitive and leaning in. It's like not something, because it's not, you know, about being nice and apparently winning, you know, isn't always good if you're a girl because you need your friends to win. I mean, like literally I actually had a, a young girl tell me that and I was like, what? And she's like, oh no, I don't want my friends to be upset if I win. And I said, no, 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 that's just, you know, you want to win because it's being your best self. You know, and you need to be happy with winning or losing because that's what being a healthy competitor is about. Um, but I also I have found for myself that, you know, leaning into my own personally competitive nature, I, I sort of grew up playing sports and it was something that, you know, I I learned early on was, uh, you know, how I dug into sort of that that edge in me. Um, particularly when I was in the Navy and I was one of only, if if not the only woman in the room. And I found that I, I needed something to give me um, an edge to, you know, step into a squadron or step into the cockpit and say, nope, I got this, even when I was a little uncertain or, or you know, nervous about what happened next. And um, I, I do think it helped me dig into another element of myself that made me my most brave, my, you know, my bravest. So I do think in a weird way, being competitive is super helpful. Um, and that's a, a good thing for women in particular and girls to, to talk about and hear, I think. Well, it sounds like a lot of the work that you have done has been based on kind of the environment and culture that young girls are raised in and that there are ways in a, you know, what I would call 1950s mantra that we put on females on how they should behave and act. And then, of course, you jump to 2020 and how women and females should behave and act. And I'm just curious, as you, you know, look at those two different environments, you know, how much is it changing? And, you know, are there ways that people should be thinking today that is different? Yeah. Well, and I think this is where, you know, in one sense, we think, oh, things have changed so much since then, you know, 50, you know, 50 plus years. And of course, the world is different. We have many more women running for political office. We have a female vice president. We have, you know, women taking charge, women in leadership positions. And yet, when you look statistically, um, there's still a huge gap to go, right? We still only have 25% of elected positions, you know, in the, in you know, and political office filled by women, even though 51% of the country is female. We still only have, you know, fewer than 5% of CEOs and other C-suite leaders uh, are women. We still, even more importantly, have uh, a bulk of women who, when asked, will, you know, would they throw in their hat in their ring to compete, say, ah, uh, you know, elected office sounds too competitive for me. I don't want to do it. I mean, that's actually what research shows um, women more than men um, say when asked these questions. And so I do think while we've come a far way, there is still a lot of social norms at play that um, help uh, sort of encourage women or sort of reinforce this, we should opt out. It's not the nice way to be. It's not exactly where we want to see women raise their voice. Um, even on the athletic field where we see girls um, twice as likely to opt out of competitive sports by, you know, junior high than boys. Uh, and yet we know it's something that 
girls and women need to be good at. So, you know, this is where, again, I speak to my personal experience. Um, being a competitive athlete when I was a kid, I, you can't see me for those listening, um, but, you know, you're talking to somebody who loved being competitive on the basketball court, right? I was that girl, the the girl, the kid who went for every loose ball, like, you know, was proud of how many steals I could have. And you don't know it, but I'm like what what we call petite slight, aka super short, right? Like not meant to be a good basketball player just by the nature of my my build. Um, and yeah, wasn't destined for greatness. Um, but the attitude that uh, that encouraged, um, I, you know, I tapped into it when I was at the White House, right? And I remember talking to other women who would say, no, I want to be my most competitive in that environment because I need an edge. I need something that's going to like let me speak up, help me not just get a seat at the table, but raise a voice at the table. And, you know, the moments when I feel like I've not been my most brave self have been the moments when I didn't dig into that, you know, competitive side of me. Well, for folks that are listening, you can't see me either. And Marissa reminds me that I used to get picked in junior high school to be on the basketball team because I'm six one, and I was a horrible basketball player absolutely oh horrible, we would have made so. a great pair then i would yeah. have been ta- passing it to you hoping <laughs> you'd uh, make the layup but unfortunately yeah well there yeah, you go and i would drop the ball <laughs> or, or, or not catch it but so marissa i'm curious uh are the ways that you approach the world yourself personally are they influenced by your parent right so your parents the one who said no you need to be competitive you need to get out there this isn't about winning and losing and your friends but we want you to be the best you uh, or is this something different than how your parents influenced you and something in you from a DNA perspective uh, led you down the path that you followed? I think it's both. I think, you know, this is where nature and nurture definitely come together. But I do think parents play a huge part. Parents, teachers, coaches. Um, it's where, you know, mentors for, you know, or, or leaders of teams. I do think a daily basis, finding small moments to reinforce the positive competitive side of uh, of ourselves um, is super impactful. For parents, it's about, you know, finding opportunities to play sports or dive into a trivia contest or, you know, find fun ways to say, yeah, no, it's okay to be your best self and compete. Um, I have to say sometimes, you know, at, at my workplace, we find little ways to to bring competition in just because it's it's a fun thing that brings out a different side of people. We actually um, recently uh, signed up or in the Zoom pandemic world, um, we did an escape room where I divided, we divided my team into two groups and we had this escape room, like it's a puzzle, and but we competed to see who finished first just to kind of like get everyone's juice flowing and sort of say, hey, no, like, you know, and not a bad way, right? Just a, a, a fun way to sort of um, approach life through that lens, but also realize that like we're all leaning forward because it goes back to this idea of taking risk, right? Because these are the moments when to be competitive, by definition, you have to opt into something, you have to be judged, you have to be willing to come in second place like we did in that escape room where we couldn't figure out that last puzzle and like the rest (laughs) of my team was like, we got you, boss, like whatever, right? We beat you. Um, But I do think that this is, you know, a really nice, easy way to practice the muscle memory that it takes to to be brave on the massive scale bravery, you know, that is the new job, the big move, the starting a family, the shifting your identity and, you know, in another way that requires, um, you know, rethinking about who you are. So again, I think the everyday ways um, really help um, both for kids and us as adults. So if you were to give a parent today, uh, Marissa, as we kind of close off our conversation, one piece of advice, and I know there's lots of advice, and of course, in your book, What Girls Need, How to Raise Bold, Courageous, and Resilient Women, I believe there are many pieces of advice on how to do that. You know, what's what's something you'd say or what type of guidance might you give a parent to think about to help their children, boys and girls, be a little bit braver? Yeah, I think it's about practice, practice, practice. 
um, in the small everyday ways. It's not about changing what we do uh, massively, but it's about finding little opportunities to help your child, particularly your girl, practice her bravery, practice her courage. It's the, you know, climb to the top of the um, uh, the structure in the playground. It's the new class she took that she didn't think she could. It's the sport. It's the opting into a contest. It's these little moments. My book has a lot of them. My book has a lot of like everyday ways to practice, help your girl practice being brave. Um, they're also applicable to ourselves each and every day. I think some of these are, are things that we should be doing as adults too, as we find new ways to practice the everyday moments that we may discount as bravery, but um, you know, even coming on podcasts and sharing your story, you know, like for me, I have to say initially, it's it's something that I had to get used to and was bravery. So for everyone listening, I'm for sure we all have those moments where we could opt out really easily, but opting in is what grows the muscle memory of being brave. So. Oh, fantastic. It has been great speaking with you today, Marissa. And if folks want to chat with you a little bit more about the school or about your book or about your background, how can they reach out to you? Yep. I love talking to listeners and people who have picked up the book. Um, I'm uh, reachable. My website, marissaporges.com or whatgirlsneed, easier to spell, .com. Um, my info is there and um, I always like si sending signed copies to folks and uh, hearing what you think of the, the stories in the, in the pages. Fantastic. Well, Marissa, thank you so much for spending some time today. I think your book sounds fantastic and your experiences really speak to the content that you're sharing. So thanks again. Thank you, Ed, for having me. Great to be here. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us this week, and we hope you join us next week as we further explore being brave at work. We also remind you to subscribe to our podcast at BeBraveAtWork.com and or download and listen to our podcast on multiple online platforms. We are everywhere. Our podcast today was sponsored by Cabot Risk Strategies, who you can reach at 800-222-5963 or visit them for more information at CabotRisk.com. And a reminder to check out my new book, Drive Your Career, Nine High-Impact Ways to Take Responsibility for Your Own Success, which is available in paperback, electronically, and in audio everywhere online. You have something to say yet are not saying it. You have something to do yet are not doing it. Now is the time to be brave at work. Have a great week.